0: Now, Analysis and Reaction. Here is NL News
1: Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. we got an exciting show ahead of you. Uh, legislative sitting begins with a throne speech today we're going to talk to the premier john horgan coming up on the program a little later we'll also talk to the south mla todd stone and we'll have our weekly chat with jeffrey myers this time focusing more on canadian politics for the big controversy brewing in ottawa but first up uh, local education issues with the chair of the camel's thompson school board kathleen Carpa. good morning kathleen how are you good morning
2: shane glad to be here
1: yeah a little snowy out there
2: Oh, it's just normal weather for this
1: time of year. <laughs> okay, I probably don't need to ask this, but just for affirmation, if there's any parents out there listening, uh, how we doing? School buses, schools, everything, everything okay out there? As far
2: as I know, everything's running as per normal.
1: <laughs> We're not doing what the Lower Mainland does, waving the white towel. We oh my are. God.
2: We are not closing any schools because of snow today, no.
1: Okay. Uh, you want to talk about something to do with the uh, the school website. What's going on there?
2: I did. So um, we had a report last night from our communications manager, and uh, our new website has been up and running. But an uh, exciting new thing is our School District 73 app. That we now have for parents, so that in the event that we ever have a snow day, (laughs) that would actually get pushed out to parents via the app and they would, an alert would come up on their phone. Wow. So we do have an app and um, you can find it for Android or Apple. You can just go to the Play Store or wherever it is and just Google. SD73 app and it'll be right there. Fantastic. You put it on your phone and so any news, events, alerts those will get pushed out to your phone and you won't have to go looking for them they'll just pop up
1: would that include potentially like a a lockdown situation at say one of the schools there's something going on okay so that would just automatically broadcast through there
2: it would we would alert parents that something was happening um so if we ever like had a snow day or we closed schools or something was happening um we'd be able to push that out and parents would know right away
1: very cool technology making its way into uh, the city of Kamloops which is nice to see Um, Have we ever had a snow day, by the way, ever, to your knowledge?
2: We have had one uh, in... About 50 years. When we had the gigantic dump of snow a couple of years ago, we did declare two snow days in a row.
1: By the way, you're lucky that Jim Harrison still isn't here because he'd wonder what an app was. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wanted to talk to you off the top. Uh, Rob Shane was on your assistant uh, superintendent of elementary schools. Uh, Schools of choice enrollment is now in the bag. We're moving on to elementary school enrollment and et cetera ahead of a new school year come September. Uh, And he told me, you guys are dealing with the longest schools of choice wait list the district has ever seen. There's something like 97 families waiting for a school of choice seat. Uh, So a big interest in schools of choice, which made me think um, whether this is indicative of another surge in enrollment that's coming your way in September. What do you think?
2: I fully expect that we're going to have more kids in September. It's been uh, a trend for the last couple of years. We're seeing a lot of families moving into Kamloops. Uh, The city's been announcing a lot of new developments. Uh, We have a lot of families moving in from the coast and from Alberta. So I fully expect to see our enrollment to continue to move upwards.
1: Okay, so what happens? Because my thought is you you forecast enrollment growth, but in the last couple of years, you've seen an excess to some degree over what the forecast allotment is. If we're seeing a bunch of new kids show up for a school of choice, let's assume that a uh, portion of them have older brothers and sisters, and then you may have some new families on top of that with kids that are just happen to be older. Uh, with considering what's going on there right now with the long-talked about capital needs and the spacing challenges, etc., if you get uh, 100, 200 extra kids over and above forecasts, uh, how much of a problem could that potentially be?
2: It depends on where those families decide to move to because we do have areas in the city that still have space in schools. And then we have areas in the city, for instance uh, up in Aberdeen, Sahali, Valley View, where those schools are full. And so in that case, we'd be looking at more portables until we get some of those capital requests fulfilled. That's why we're pushing on uh, not only Valley View Secondary and having an expand there, but also our needs for Pineview Valley. We need a school up there. That area is developing. Uh, we need to have an expansion to solve some of the problems in West Mount. Uh, opening up uh, West Side Elementary that relieves some of the pressures towards the northern end of West Side, but it doesn't relieve the pressures to the south end of that West Side corridor.
1: Mm. So uh, on the west side, thing, you got a little bit of an update at, at the school board meeting last night. How are we doing there? Notice the decision is coming in March, but uh, in the process, how are we doing?
2: So all of the information that we've received so far is up on our website. Uh, so you can see the transcript of the meeting. You can see the presentation that was uh, made at the meeting. You can see all the questions that people have been emailing us along with the answers are up on the website so that people can see what we're looking at. So it's pretty transparent. We're trying to be really open about the process so that people can see what's happening. Is
1: there any way the decision in March will be, no, we're not reopening Westside? Can you see that as even a possibility? Or is this, do you think, really we're talking about opening Westside?
2: At this point, we haven't really received any negative feedback towards opening Westside at all, so it's been pretty positive.
1: Okay. Uh, That breaks into a couple of different fronts. Uh, You also heard a delegation from Sun Peaks, which is um, a major growth area, shall we say, (laughs) uh, that the district is also dealing with. What's going on up there, and is that also contributing to some of the spacing challenges you guys are facing?
2: So, Sun Peaks is one of the most rapidly growing small communities in B.C., if not the most rapidly growing Um, So we definitely have a challenge. Right now, that school that's up there is just portables. It's not actually a school building. Hmm. And that's why we put them on our capital plan last year, is they actually need a brick-and-mortar school up there. So that's something that we're going to be trying to work on over the next little while, so... Again, it's another capital request that we need because of growing communities.
1: Maybe we should do that everywhere. <laughs> Maybe just throw some portables up in Pine View Valley ahead of a brick and mortar. <laughs> uh, the other one I wanted to talk to you about, too, because we're in order to do like, even if Even if, if you get all your capital wish list stuff next month, they just roll in here. We're building new schools all over the place. You're still looking at a construction delay before they come online of a year, prob- probably more like two. Um, and that's obviously not going to happen. You're going to get Valley View potentially, and then we'll see what happens after that. So um, Ralph Bell is closed. Are we going to start that conversation anytime soon? What are we doing with Ralph Bell?
2: So we're seeing uh, pressure on Juniper Ridge Elementary. Uh, there's been a lot of development up in Juniper so we're going to have to have a conversation about that next year that was in our long-range facilities plan that we may have to look at opening Ralph Bell and that obviously comes with a large number of challenges uh, one of which is a catchment change and splitting up the kids in Juniper Ridge Uh, it's looking at what happens to all of the childcare, daycare that's happening currently in Ralph Bell, that school is full of childcare spaces. It's going to have a horrendous impact on parents and families. Mm. It's not something that we look forward to.
1: Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I hear again from from uh, a lot of the daycare parents that, that I deal with where my kid goes to school, all of whom are downtown. And we have the Kamloops uh, downtown plan coming. We have density, obviously, is going to be arriving downtown. That's just the natural progression of any city. Do we need... Maybe not immediately, but do we need to open a discussion at some point in the future about a new school in downtown Kamloops? Because they're really... I mean, Lloyd George is probably the closest, and then you got South Cam, which is, you know, packed to the hilt. Uh, but there's not really a school in the downtown core. Is that discussion something we need to have at some point or no?
2: Right now, the downtown core has the lowest per capita uh, enrollment for kids mm. in that area. So in terms of school-aged children... Downtown has lowest um, group of kids around. Um, when we look at the catchment area that includes downtown, Beatty uh, Elementary is actually in the center of that catchment area. The majority of kids are coming from that South Sahali area or the North. In and around um, the Safeway Complex, McGill, um, that area is where the majority of kids live. And so they're actually closer to the BD Elementary School than they are to downtown.
1: Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. It's mm-hmm. uh, still lightly snowing out there. Hopefully you All can right. get back to where you're going yes. in a good right. manner. Thank and we'll you very talk much. to you again next week. Thank you. There we go. School Board Chair Kathleen Karpak talking about Kamloops education issues and the struggle still with spacing out here in Kamloops School District 73. On the other side, we're going to talk to Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone ahead of the sitting of the legislature and the throne speech later on today.
0: Local news now. Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on
1: 610 a.m. and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. We're going to have a throne speech kicking off a new session of the legislature a little later today. It comes as the lower mainland in southern Vancouver Island just getting whacked by the snow. Snowmageddon, if you will. Uh, on the phone now, the MLA from Kamloops South, Todd Stone. Uh, good morning, Todd. How are you?
3: I'm well, Shane.
1: How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I understand Snowmageddon has thrown you a bit of a travel monkey wrench this morning.
3: <laughs> well, I, I, I was scheduled to fly down from Camelot uh, yesterday, uh, and all the flights were, uh, one after the other, uh, canceled. So jumped in the truck. Uh, Cocahalla was fine, but uh, managed to arrive in the lower mainland last night, and... And boy, did they get a dump of snow in Delta. It was a good, uh, good foot. Um, so good. Good thing is uh, everyone down here is experienced winter drivers. They all have winter tires. It's all good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you just laugh maniacally as you drive around? Look at these idiots. Ah. Uh-huh. Okay, Todd, uh, throne speech, uh, new legislative sitting coming up. Uh, We asked the same question to Peter Milibar a little earlier, but I'll ask you now. Uh, From your perspective as one of an opposition MLAs, uh, what's your priority? What do you think the party priority is? What are you taking the government to task here? How do you think this sitting is going to unfold?
3: Well, uh, you know, I think as Peter said earlier this morning, uh, the throne speech today uh, is always an opportunity for the government to highlight what its priorities will be moving forward. Uh, I certainly hope that in this drone speech there's an acknowledgement uh, from government that, uh, you know, a, a lot of their their initiatives to this point, which have been focused on affordability, uh, just have not worked. Uh, I haven't met anyone uh, up in Kamloops uh, or anywhere else that has said to me that uh, they think life is is more affordable today than it was 18 months ago. Uh, if you look at, uh, at at all of the changes that uh, that they've made uh, to uh, to taxes, uh, 19 new or increased taxes across the board. I think Peter was talking about the carbon tax this morning, but you know, hydro rates are up, ICBC rates are up, uh, income taxes uh, r- r- rates are up. Uh, um, it, it, it's uh, it, it, and, and housing is not more affordable today than it was uh, eighteen months ago, so we 're going to be um, holding them to account for i think that most signature of all commitments that they made in the in the last election about affordability and uh, and then, uh, of course, there's a whole bunch of local priorities that uh, that that we'll be uh, will be looking for in the budget, which comes down a week from now.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about that because uh, one of the big projects I know you've been keeping an eye on is this four-laning of the Trans Canada. Uh, as you remember, the Horgan government ran on uh, doing it lightning fast, much quicker than than the previous BC Liberal government. Uh, to that extent, uh, not much progress has been made in that front at all. So, when you see the budget next week, whatever it may contain, uh, what are you looking for as far as uh, as that front and and money flowing and projects getting going?
3: Well, uh, you're you're quite correct. Uh, This government did... uh Strongly commit to the people of Kamloops and the surrounding area that they were going to uh, accelerate four laning projects on the Trans Canada. Um, the, the complete opposite is what we've actually seen 18 months in, uh, and work has stopped. Uh, we had $200 million approved for four laning from Hoffman's Bluff right through to the other side of Chase. Uh, that project is at least two years behind schedule. Uh, we're told that it may go to tender this year. We um, can't even uh, say if it'll be this spring uh, or, or this coming fall. Uh, and So that's very, very disappointing. Of course, when they do tender uh, these projects, they're going to cost uh, likely 10% more than they, than they really should because of the uh, community benefits agreement uh, union-only requirements that they've imposed. Uh, so again, uh, you know, really, really letting down uh, the people of Kamloops and the surrounding area when it comes to uh, the infrastructure needs uh, that, uh, that, we ha- that, that we have and that this government committed to addressing.
1: What other things in the budget are you looking for, Todd, as far as uh, uh, local needs, uh, local capital projects, that kind of thing?
3: Well, the number one priority for both Peter and me is uh, school capital. Uh, Our our school district, as we all know, had a pretty significant decline in enrollment over about a 20-year period, but that leveled off. Uh, a few years ago, uh, enrollment uh, is uh, is now is now taking upwards. Uh, we have very severe uh, uh, crowding uh, issues uh, in in our classrooms uh, across the entire district, uh, for that matter. Uh, so we're going to be looking for uh, the government uh, following through on its uh, on its. Uh, you know, we we think they've made a commitment to this, but they, that that they will fund the expansion uh, needed at Valley View Secondary. Uh, that'd be about a thirty to forty million dollar project uh, in and of itself. We need a new school in Pineview Valley. Uh, we need an expansion at, uh, at Westmount. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how, the, how the government's going to square the circle here, where they've promised to eliminate all portables in Surrey. Uh, they're continuing very aggressively with a seismic upgrading program in the lower mainland for schools, which is important. Uh, but on the same token, uh, they have uh, at least verbally have acknowledged that there are capital uh, needs in other school districts like ours in Kamloops. Whether they actually put uh, funds uh, uh, towards those priorities or not, uh, we'll be looking very closely for that uh, when the budget comes down in a week from now.
1: Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but uh, one of the things that is uh, putting the legislature under a cloud ahead of this sitting, of course, is the ongoing uh, legislature spending scandal. Craig James and Gary Lenz both still suspended pending any kind of an outcome on that front that could happen in the days and weeks ahead. Um, the Speaker and his uh, aide-de-camp, if you were, uh, Alan Mullen, have uh, inferred that the MLAs have done something criminal. Perhaps they're under investigation and could go to jail. Uh, your thought on on how this is is progressing, and, and to your knowledge, is, is there any MLAs that you know of that are under police investigation?
3: Uh, certainly none that I'm aware of. Uh, I think that is, uh, has been echoed by uh, uh, Premier Horgan and, and by Andrew Wilkinson, uh, the leader of the opposition. Uh, and and uh, bottom line here, if if anyone in the speaker's office uh, believes that uh, current MLAs, uh, any current MLAs, have uh, have done anything wrong here, and certainly anything criminal in nature, uh, they have an obligation to disclose that. Uh, you know, put up or shut up. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it, it serves no purpose to cast uh, this dark uh, cloud upon the entire legislative building and all of the uh, the hardworking people in it. Uh, uh, if uh, you're not prepared to to actually. Uh, Uh, be be specific in in your allegations so uh, if they have information uh, especially uh, that that may involve criminal activity they they should report that to the police uh, and they should uh, disclose uh, that to the the members of the legislature uh, so that uh, it can be dealt with.
1: Uh, Last question Uh, Linda Reed stepped down as deputy speaker is that a good move in your opinion or no?
3: Well, uh, look, I I think uh, since the the Plexus report came down and all of us, uh, in the media included, everyone has had a chance to uh, really dive deep into uh, each and every uh, item in that report. Uh, And then, of course, we had uh, James and Lenz with their responses last week. Uh, I I think it's pretty evident that uh, in terms of what what was in the Placus report relating to uh, MLA-Reid, that uh, there's there's no wrongdoing there. Uh, um, you know, any, any issues with her uh, expenses and a, you know a travel receipt here and a travel receipt there has all been uh, you know, explained uh, and, and is all acceptable um, and, and was done within the rules. But uh, I think uh, you know to her credit, uh, she uh, she doesn't want uh, to become a distraction in any way uh, moving forward. Uh, we, we put forward a 20 point ethics plan uh, that uh, we we, uh, we hope the other leaders will embrace as well, uh, so that we can focus on plugging the holes, cleaning things up, uh, making whatever changes are necessary to ensure every single taxpayer's dollar is respected uh, moving forward. That's what British Columbia's expect us uh, to do. Um, any any further finger-pointing and, and so forth uh, is, is counterproductive uh, as far as I'm concerned. Let's, let's let's fix what needs to be fixed, and uh, let's get on with, uh, with the people's business in the legislature.
1: Sounds good. Todd, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And be careful of those southern Vancouver drivers when you get off the other side. Yeah, thanks, Shane. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> There's of South, MLA Todd Stone. He's heading to the legislature for the throne speech and the sitting of the spring sitting of the legislature, which will unveil, and we're off to the races a little later today on that front. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we're going to be joined by Premier John Horgan.
3: Radio NL. Radio
1: NL.com. Local news now. Your opinion.
0: Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford
3: on
1: RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to The Woodford Show. Real pleasure to welcome back to the program the Premier of this province, John Horgan. Good morning, Premier. How are you? I'm
0: well. Good to be on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, uh, obviously a big day. Spring sitting of the legislature will unfold in a matter of hours here, uh, leading up to the throne speech, and then we're off to the races for a new sitting of the legislature. Uh, first and foremost, um, this leg- sitting is going to come under sort of the cloud of the legislature spending scandal. Uh, we've got lots of sort of uh, twists and turns in that road since last we talked, and not the least of which is the speaker and his uh, his aide, uh, Mr. Mullen, uh, alleging criminal activity and potentially MLAs under investigation. Uh, do we need- to kind of bring some kind of clarity to this? Do we need to find out if, yes, they are under investigation, no they're not? What's going on here in your mind? Well, I know it's
0: going to be a great concern to the public and a concern to MLAs who uh, were hearing for the first time that uh, there was allegations of wrongdoing. Uh, as I'm not aware of any uh, police investigation or any special prosecutors appointed for uh, MLAs. I do know that the two individuals that uh, are on administrative leave, the clerk and the Sergeant at Arms are under investigation, and there are special prosecutors. Uh, I would have thought that the Speaker and his assistant would have kept it at that, but uh, I haven't spoken to him, so I can't uh, I can't guess at where their mind is on this. I do know that uh, uh, Minister Minister Farnworth is the House Leader, and he and uh, his opposites in the Liberal and Green Caucus. Uh, are the Legislative Assembly Management Committee, and they'll be working with the Speaker to shed some light on this. I know that uh, there are going to be people in every party who are going to be saying, what the heck's going on here? And, of course, the public saying, uh, not this again. You'll remember, Shane, uh, back uh, in 2010 when the Auditor General went through and and unearthed some what were clearly uh, excessive expenditures by uh, MLAs and staff uh we cleaned that up as a legislature and thought we were on a good a good place i I raised some concerns way back then about uh the clerk's office not being covered by any of the uh protections that we had put in place after the auditor general came through uh the new auditor general i spoke with her uh uh, randomly at the airport the other day Uh, she's anxious to get going i have every confidence in her i've said so publicly uh continue to I hope that she can get at this quickly so the public can have some confidence that uh, the issues that were in play a few years ago were no longer in play today.
1: Um, On a concern level uh, with this particular scandal, um, I mean, you've been a part of this building for a long, long time. You sat on Lamsey yourself. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you kind of put your concern as you watch the events unfold over the last few months here?
0: Well, I, when I was a, a backbench member of the opposition and when I became House Leader of the Opposition, and then when I became leader of the opposition, I was always of the view uh, that we needed as much transparency as possible. You can't have enough transparency, and, and I think uh, that's a, a, a position that's held by the vast majority of MLAs, past and present. So uh, when I was on Lampsey, I tried as hard as I could to get the government who control the committee to uh, take some action. They chose not to, and they'll be accountable for that. Uh, Bill Barisoff was the head chair at, when I was on Lampsey, and later uh, Linda Reed. But I was, I was on for maybe a year and a half, uh, two years tops. They didn't, it didn't used to meet, you'll remember, when you covered the place. It would be meet uh, around the couch in the speaker's office. It was only in 2012, I think, that we finally started having meetings in open so people could hear what we had to say. So we've come a 1,000 years from from the old days, but we've got a long way to go. And I think that the good news about Mr. Plekis is that he's genuinely independent. And I, I said that at the time, and I continue to hold the view that we would not have made progress on this if we didn't have someone in there that was not accountable to a political party. So this is for the public. I think they can take comfort that the Speaker is not accountable to uh, anyone in uh, in the Liberal or NDP or Green Caucus. He's accountable to the institution, and that's good news. And, and also the fact that people stepped up, the deputies were in place. We're going to have a throne speech today uh, if we can get rid of the snow. I know this is uh, laughable in the interior, but uh, we uh, Victorians, I was born and raised here, we, we don't know quite what to do with this stuff. And you talked about... The starting of the spring session, it looks more like the winter session as I look out my window
1: today. Yeah, and let's talk about that because uh, over the last year, your government uh, put out some big stuff. The speculation tax, uh, dealt with legal marijuana, all that kind of jazz. I get the sense uh, this fall sitting, this throne speech, this budget is a chance to shift, aim, refocus on some other priorities. Uh, In your mind, what are those priorities? Well, we're
0: going to be uh, continuing on the the path that we have been on, providing services for people, making sure that we can make life more affordable to the best of our ability. We're uh, freezing ferry fares. And and, uh, for those who live in coastal communities, uh, trying to get a handle on ICBC uh, and BC Hydro, a double whammy from our Crown corporations. Big, big problems there. You've been covering that on your programs. The deferred debt at Hydro is uh, continuing to grow despite our efforts to uh, take a, a billion dollars off that it's still a problem, and the other government, the previous government, didn't have a plan to get rid of it uh, other than uh, putting it on the backs of ratepayers, regular people so we're we're going to be addressing hydro there's going to be a report out shortly on that. icBC continues to be a challenge, uh, wanting to make sure that we can get control on housing prices. You mentioned the speculation tax i'm I'm pleased to see uh, the vast majority of those who were saying the sky was falling. Uh, that, the, that citizens had to fill out a form, uh, two to four minutes of, of civic activity to try and get speculation out of the marketplace. is not too much to ask. And I think those who, who were declaring the world was coming to an end because of a form uh, are looking a little bit silly today as people take a look at this and say this isn't so difficult. And if it can help us make sure our kids can afford to live in our communities, it's worth the two to four minutes to fill out the form. The vast majority of British Columbians are not affected by this, not in your listening area at all. Uh, it's in those main uh, uh, large population centers where there's a, almost a zero vacancy rate and housing prices are out of control and out, out of step with local wages. That's what we've been trying to address. You'll remember, Shane, this was a number one issue during the election campaign. So uh, those who are, are uh, uh, expressing shock right now clearly haven't been paying attention or have two or three or four houses, uh, unlike the vast majority of British Columbians.
1: John, uh, is there going to be anything new uh, in either the next week's budget or, or today's throne speech that's going to mark sort of a, a new territory for your government or a new goal or focus, or no?
0: Well, we're going to be working hard on reconciliation. Uh, we have been on that from the day we arrived. Uh, if we need to, just for social justice reasons alone, address the uh, inequality in communities when it comes to Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. We need to make sure our economy works for everybody. These are themes that you've heard from me before uh, we're going to hear a bit more of that today. We're going to talk about uh, the things that we can do to make life better for people and, and work hard on that each and every day. Uh, it's about the choices that we make, and uh, you know that governments are, are here. They make decisions, they make choices, they lock in, uh, and that's that's what we're focusing on. We're very excited, of course, to have uh, Sheila Malcolmson from Nanaimo joining us. Uh, the, the by-election win was very big for our government, very big for the people of Nanaimo, and that allows us to continue to provide stability and And uh, the fastest growing economy in the country, lowest unemployment, things are going well here. We want to keep that going.
1: On the money laundering front, uh, you and Mr. Eby have have not closed the door in holding a public inquiry, also stating it's not the most ideal uh, way to deal with this. But money laundering revelations continue to come out day in and day out. And I think there's an appetite among the public uh, for some kind of justice here. Um, Is it time to say, yes, we're doing this, or no, we're not, or we're going to do this instead? Is it time to get off the fence on that thing?
0: Well, I I fully agree with you and the public that uh, evidence continues to mount that this is something that that the previous government completely ignored and the federal government doesn't seem to be able to get a handle on. Uh, We have uh, two people in the field right now. Uh, John German is doing a second report. He, he of course, uh, uh, exposed with the work of some pretty good investigative journalism by a guy named Sam Cooper, uh, uh, exposed the excesses in in casinos uh, in terms of money laundering. Uh, that report was well-received, and we asked him to stay on and do a second report on uh, the real estate market. He's joined by uh, a, uh, Maureen Maloney, a former Deputy Attorney General. Uh, so we've got two very prominent people already eyes and ears on this file. I'd like to get their report. I think it's coming in March before we uh, decide what to do with respect to a public inquiry. But I know that the the public is building toward this, but I also know that the public would prefer the 10, 20, 30 million dollars, uh, not go to lawyers uh, to to have no activity uh, and have no progress on this file, and would prefer that we try and as best we can to get some consequences from this money laundering and, and expose uh, those responsible and shut this down. If we can do that in a cost-effective way without involving years of back and forth, and it's before the courts, and I can't comment on all of the other things that you'll have to report on uh, on your program. I think the public would prefer that route. So we're We're waiting for German and Maloney to report in March, and then we'll go from there.
1: On that uh, topic, uh, Premier uh, Sam Cooper, as you referred to a moment ago, has done some amazing work on this file, uh, has this morning put out a bunch of police notes that uh, paint a grim picture of police that were growing distrustful of the BC government and BCLC, fearing that they were leaking information on sensitive police investigations, which is adding another wrinkle. Uh, considering all the money and all the stuff flying around, uh, is it time to take a hard look at to see if somebody may have been uh, taking some money on the side or may have been compromised and leaking information?
0: Well, we certainly have new leadership uh, on the board at uh, BCLC, and uh, we're uh, expecting uh, reports back from the the new board members and the new chair on on how to proceed with the Lottery Corporation. Uh, But at the same time, uh, these are troubling allegations, and particularly when they come from law enforcement. So these are the reasons why uh, the the public has every right to, uh, to be concerned about this. I am too, but I also am mindful of the public purse. I'm mindful that uh, it may feel good to say, here's a public inquiry, let the lawyering begin. But I think the public would prefer to say, find the problems, root them out, change policies, change the laws, and hopefully uh, get those uh, that are responsible uh, to to have some sort of a consequence. Um, Mr. Eby and I met with uh, Bill Blair, the federal representative, last two weeks ago. Uh, and I was uh, a bit disappointed that the uh, federal government's not on the same page as we are on this. Uh, They understand it. They're working hard. But, um, I mean, we we have been on this since the day we were sworn in. Uh, Minister Eby's uh, made this a high priority. I've made it a high priority. I hope that uh, Mr. Trudeau will do that as well.
1: Excellent. We've uh, overstayed our time, and I know you've got a lot of these to do this morning. I appreciate uh, uh, any time we can grab together and uh, taking the time this morning to talk to me, Premier.
0: Always good talking to Shane. Take
1: care. And that was Premier John Horgan joining us this morning. We'll take a quick break here on The Woodford Show on Radio NL. On the other side, our weekly chat with Jeffrey Myers touching on Canadian and American politics this time around.
0: Local news now. Radio NL, 610 AM and Radio NL.com. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL, 610 AM
1: and Radio NL.com. Check, 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 check. Three, two, and one. Uh, Good morning and welcome back to the Woodford Show. A pleasure, uh, as we always do this time of the week, uh, to talk to Jeffrey Myers, lawyer, lecturer up at Thompson Rivers University. uh, As we talk, we're actually going to talk some Canadian politics this week, but we'll also touch on American politics as we always do. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. How are you?
4: Uh, good morning, Shane. Good to be with you.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I always appreciate it. Always look forward to these chats. Um, I mentioned we're going to talk about Canadian politics for a change, and we'll do that off the top here. Uh, we, of course, have this uh, this allegation: the Prime Minister's Office wanted uh, then Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, to direct federal prosecutors to make a deferred prosecution agreement, basically a plea bargain, uh, to avoid taking SNC-Lavalin to trial on bribery and fraud charges. So is this thing is is sort of in the infancy of unfolding. But obviously, a very serious story. What are your thoughts on it?
4: Well, first, the Liberal government has said the, that they, they deny it completely, and that say that it's based on leaks. They say that these that, that in fact this didn't happen. So, this is um, at this stage, it's very early on, as you say. Um, but you know what, the outlines of um, of what's alleged is exactly as you stated, which is that uh, the Prime Minister's office. Okay, uh, not clearly the prime minister himself, but uh, the prime minister's office and his principal secretary, Gerard Butts, was in touch with then attorney general uh, and minister of justice uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, who who most people will remember was recently, I guess, loosely speaking, demoted to the position of veterans affairs. And that the allegation is that they that the prime minister's office had basically, as you say, pressurised. Um, her to to um, come up with a, um, a what's called a, um, a, a, a a deferred action um, a deferred action uh, a deferred prosecution agreement, which is basically like uh, a, not a criminal um, remedy, but um, a kind of taking responsibility for and possible payment of some um, some some remedial fees, but not a full criminal prosecution. The reason that was significant was because were SNC out, um Lavalin to get convicted to 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 have a criminal prosecution and the evidence was such that one should lie um, f- particularly for their um, taking and using of bribes and foreign cr- foreign practices in their in foreign countries particularly Muammar Gaddafi's Libya they would have been banned from any government contracts for 10 years and that effectively analysts said would have destroyed their business in Canada but also abroad and you know SNC Lavalin has i think 50,000 employees about 9 or 10,000 of which are in Quebec uh, and uh... the government did not want to see that happen um, but if they but there's there it's totally improper um, for uh... the political branch of government namely the prime minister's office to pressurize the um, uh... the department of public prosecutions branch of the attorney general's office around uh, it's exercise of discretion about who to prosecute and what remedies to bring to bear even in a plea negotiation context so if there was direct pressure brought to bear of that sort it entails you know ethics violations which is why now the ethics commissioner is, is becoming involved as well as the justice committee uh... of the house of commons at the insistence of the opposition to investigate uh, what has in fact happened here to my mind it's it's an extremely interesting story because it 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 gives us some kind of idea of um you know some of the problems with our our, our legal and justice system and you know one of them you know being the fact that um we we expect and we see the same thing working itself out in the context of Donald Trump it's not a uniquely canadian problem but we expect that our um uh, that our departments of justice or attorney generals um, act as both a part of the executive branch of government, uh, as part of the cabinet structure, if you will, while at the same time requiring them to independently exercise their authority. Um, as judicial officers around decisions to prosecute or not to prosecute. And invariably, keeping that division clear uh, is something that is very difficult and that often lands uh, politicians in big trouble. And by all accounts, if the allegations as they're stated are true, um, in particular, and I think they may be particularly from what I can infer from former Attorney General uh, um, uh, Wilson-Raybould's conduct, um, you know, she acted uh, uh, exactly as you would expect her to do it in keeping with her um, obligations as a lawyer um, and an officer of the court. She, 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 she uh, and it looks like the government now is, is being a little murky about this. So I think the opposition's right to want to pursue an investigation.
1: Uh, Just out of curiosity, because we've talked so much about what's going on south of the border, uh, how does this sort of compare and contrast with uh, a prime minister being in trouble uh, versus the president being in trouble?
4: Well, I mean, the problem, what I'm saying, the only compare and contrast point that I'm making here, right, is is that, um, you know, Donald Trump, remember, he never understood why Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself from the um, oversight of the Mueller investigation, right? And of course, The reason that that Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself as a matter of public law was because of the real or apparent conflict of interest that he was in, and the idea that his role, uh, you know, as a a member of the cabinet couldn't conflict with his role as chief government law enforcement officer. So, and so, what was wrong? So, the scandal there, I suppose, uh, is that that uh, a president would not even understand that, okay, and so (laughs) that he would ask that the the attorney general did that. This suggestion, the story, if it's true as alleged suggest that what Mr. Trudeau did or at least his his, his uh, principal secretary who's effectively his right hand was say hey lay off on these charges um, you know because this is going to hurt um, a major liberal party donor by the way a Quebec company and we don't want to see this happen uh, and that is that if that did happen would be if not illegal and definitely an ethics violation um, but again, it brings to light certain structural problems, which I think have always been there. I mean, the fact that the office, even of the Attorney General and the Justice Minister, are in one person, and that that's traditionally how we handle it. That in itself is is not necessarily the only way it could or should be, right? Because as Attorney General, the job is the Chief of Justice, uh, off, uh, law enforcement officer of Canada. As the um, Minister of Justice, so her job is to the the, the person 's job is to as a member of cabinets to be in charge of justice policy. The two can come into conflict in a variety of ways and it 's very complicated um, to thread that needle but I think what 's important for your listeners to remember is that what uh, um, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is saying now she can't comment on it because the, what, the, what the interactions between herself and the Prime Minister's office are covered by solicitor-client privilege, meaning the Government of Canada was her client, so she can't say what they what she was told by her client in connection with her legal representation of them, like any other lawyer, unless they, that is, the government, uh, Mr. Trudeau and cabinet, waive the privilege. Um interestingly, um David Lametti, who's the new attorney general and who full disclosure was a professor at Law McGill Law School when I was there and uh, his spouse, who's a senior professor there, is a good friend and a mentor of mine. but what he had said was um, to, you know he had been very forthright. he said, "Look, there was no interference either direct or otherwise with me." He said that very publicly from day one, but uh, Ms uh, Wilson raybould has not wanted to comment on that, comment on that because she says it's privileged So now this opens up a kind of murky area, and I think there's going to be both again, as I say, the justice committee and uh, an independent uh, and an ethics probe, and we 'll see what the outcome of it and it could have wide ranging uh, political if not legal effects.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Okay, let's talk about uh, American politics. Uh, I was... I guess it's sort of a, a sign of the times, but uh, I was struck by, in the State of the Union address last week, when President Trump stood up there and said, and I quote, if there's going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and in investigation, went on to take a bunch of broadsides at the Mueller investigation, basically saying, in essence, please don't investigate me. I was just caught, Jeffrey, by like, you know, if this was 10, maybe 20 years ago, and a president stood up and said that, I mean, it would be mind-numbingly shocking. And I guess it's just a sign of the times that we deal in so much nonsense that it's- It's not even really, uh, you know, the headlines didn't last more than a day or two before that story faded away.
4: Well, you know, you do standing in the well of Congress delivering the State of the Union address, you know, kind of like standing in the United Nations in front of the Guernica or, um, you know, any of these other kind of austere um, environments that have a kind of historical resonance with them. Um, You know, typically have been, you know, places where presidents are very mindful of how they speak and what they say. And usually the message in states of the union is how the union is strong and how um, uh, more and better bipartisanship is required to make it more. Um, But that, of course, is all the traditions of that nature have been sort of smashed from day one with this president. So it was no surprise for me to hear him sort of launch into a kind of tirade. Um, you know, um, and the visual effects, of course, um, of uh, of Nancy Pelosi standing behind him, the the gif-worthy clap, as it were, that resonated around the world, I think spoke volumes more than anything I can say.
1: Okay. Um, with the Mueller investigation, an interesting tidbit has popped out. Yeah. Uh, lead prosecutor Andrew Wiseman, uh, I guess he was in a, in a court subpoena that was somehow made public, um, was talking uh, sort of in an uh, in an angle on this whole um, theory that um, Russia was really interfering with the Trump candidacy or, or manipulating it in order to kind of find a way out of U.S. sanctions and find some kind of a peace deal with Ukraine and get some kind of a, an exit out of there and save some face. And that's really what was going on. Uh, according to court transcripts, Mr. Wiseman says, and I quote, this goes to the larger view of what we think is going on and what we think is the motive here. This goes, I think, very much to the heart of what the special counsel's office is investigating thoughts on
4: that well i mean i think that there's a variety of stories which are now coming together not so much because of any kind of leaks or anything like that from special counsel's office but just because of the indictments themselves which you know put, uh, which give you a very good idea of what the um what the the evidence is against mr trump with regards to um illegal an illegal relationship between his campaign and the russian government or those who represent the russian government um you know, I, I think that there are several sort of different buckets, as it were, in the Russia investigation. You know, one of the buckets which we're learning about is the question of um, Mr. Trump's desire to to build a a, ta- a Trump Tower in Russia and the need for that project to be green-lighted by um, Vladimir Putin and how that was ongoing both before and during the presidential campaign. And we're learning more about that through Michael Cohen's cooperation. Yet another bucket, of course, is this question of the Paul Manafort uh, connection, and that is especially relevant on this question of Ukraine, right? Because one of the things we know is that Paul Manafort was. Working for a pro-Russian uh, Ukrainian interests, and in fact, was in many ways indebted to these individuals. Uh, and that, the very same time, he was brought aboard the Trump administration to be the campaign manager, and in fact, handle the campaign through the Republican National Convention. That was the most critical moment on Russia policy because suddenly, uh, at that very time, again, it's it's very coincidental, to say the least, the Russian the policy of the Republican Party on um arming Ukraine and on supporting Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression changed. Okay. And so that was again, that's a major inference, right? And and so that's there. Um and then um you know there there are um kind of other strings involved, but each of these buckets is getting fuller and fuller. And again it's not just the indictments that we see that are public, um but but it's also um the fact that we have very good reporting on all of this as well, which comes from again a combination of uh the, the facts that are made available to the public either through guilty pleas or convictions but also through um leaks and and hopefully uh through credible sources. So what we're seeing is these kind of multiple buckets and then there's separate and apart from this not separate and apart in the foundational sense but at least on a superficial sense separate and apart is the question of the actual hacking itself, right? where we have a kind of intelligence um, investigation going on over and above um, you know the criminal investigation uh, that's going on um, in the Mueller, with Mueller and, for example, in other jurisdictions as well.
1: And let's talk about that and probably one of the more interesting developments, uh, which I save for the end here, <laughs> is the Southern District of New York dropped a, a pretty incredible subpoena on, on Mr. Trump's inaugural committee yes. seeking evidence of mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, conspiracy, illegal foreign contributions. Uh, and it looks like they're going to go after and try and get some interviews with Trump organization executives. Thoughts on
4: this? Well, it, again, what's ended up happening is is that the Mueller investigation, right? I mean, it it has been char- it was it has a mandate to investigate um, and the existence of any um, um, any links between the Trump campaign and um, Russia or Russian officials or Russian interested parties in the the outcome of the two thousand and sixteen election, right? So, in a sense, it's it's looking at all the Russian buckets which I just described to you. Um, but but there's also things that the Mueller investigation, I think, is coming across in the context of their investigation, which there's just too much to handle, and it's not necessarily specifically responsive to their mandate. And a lot of that stuff is being handed off to the Southern District of New York, um, which is uh, the same federal district of, um, uh, of New York that I practiced in for two years when I first graduated from law school. And it's one of the most sort of um, well-known districts for pers- prosecuting white-collar crime and corruption very very aggressively over a period of many decades. And so they're all taking this up As well, and you know, it's reassuring. It should be that all these kind of related and attached cases, although maybe slightly removed from the central um, focus um, on the core question of Russia, but some of this, the related issues, those things, you know, they're 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 not something that the president can stop. I mean, even if he were to fire Bob Mueller, those things wouldn't stop. In fact, uh, the FBI would get back the Bob Mueller uh, investigation or continue on, and that the S D N I would also continue on with its its. its investigation. So, you know, when they look at the Trump um, inaugural committee, it's likely that was decided that this isn't close enough to the Russia investigation. But here at SCNY, take a look at it. And then they started taking a look at it and realizing. That the inaugural commission, which was supposed to be established for the purposes of holding the inaugural as a kind of national celebration of a new, of a, a free and fair election, ends up being a kind of slush fund for all a bunch of unaccounted um, money from various interested parties, including ones that are totally suspect that is now coming out, and a new set of criminal charges arises from that and it 's just a picture of the ongoing form of corruption what 's significant about it is as you get closer and closer. Uh, to the period in which Trump is actually in office, right? They we're talking about the inauguration. That's already the period where the president is the period after the president is elected, and then the period and before he or she takes office on January twentieth, they are president elect, and as and that's actually a public office in and of itself, and there are certain heightened responsibilities in association with that public office. And so the question is, what what ha- what kind of conduct happened there? We're just getting closer and closer to a kind of. Um, a, a um, series of uh, cases against the president and those closest to him ever closer to his entry into office
1: and I guess my final question here you touched on a little bit uh, just a minute ago but uh, the, the SDNY the Southern District of New York is mm-hmm. uh, my understanding they've got no constraints uh, there's no political pressure you can bring to bear there they essentially have no time limits they have the freedom to go pretty much anywhere the evidence leads So they can't be fired or defunded in some way they may pose maybe the greatest threat of all the investigations
4: I mean, I suppose, they, I mean, they're, they're still federal courts, right, it's still federal appointments, so I wouldn't put it beyond the Trump Justice uh, Department, you know, to try something. But, I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, a very, very well um, established sort of arm's length, um, uh, uh, you know, um, Prosecution service. So I really think this is significant that it's out there, and I think it's uh, it's like I say, it's an insurance policy. I mean, you combine that with the fact that you now have a Democratic Congress that's robustly uh, um, exercising oversight, right? You asked before about the president's comments around war and investigation. Um, you know, versus, what did you say, uh, peace and, and uh, legislation. I mean, he's not just having now, he's got all this criminal oversight from um, from from federal prosecutors. Um, and he's got some states' attorney generals, by the way, looking at him as well. All and those are, of course, uh, bulletproof to um, any of his actions. But you also have Congress now with increasing subpoena powers. They're probably going to get his tax returns eventually. Um, so he's he's not really uh he hasn't adjusted to the new situation yet. You know, he had difficulty working with the Republican dominated um Congress. Now he's really experiencing even greater difficulty with the Congress that's actually able to have some muscles and some levers levers of government at its hands.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And speaking of the tax returns, by the way, I know Maxine Walters has already come out and said, we're coming for your tax returns, Mr. Trump, so that could provide a whole other wrinkle as we go down this road.
4: Yeah, and Elizabeth Warren, of course, said at her official campaign launch the other day that, you know, if Trump is still president, then, or if he's if he's even a free man, so as in to suggest that, you know, to raise the bar, I think, on expectations about uh, Mr. Trump's immediate future, so... Um, You know, I think the Democrats are feeling to some extent full, have the wind at their backs and they're feeling, you know, they're feeling that Um, and, and, you know, and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, they, they didn't do a good job with Mr. Whitaker when they had him, when uh, uh, Jerry Nadler had him in front of his committee. Congressman Nadler had him in front of his committee. They, they weren't able to deal with him effectively, and he'll be out soon, and it'll be bar. Um, so there's still room for dirty tricks, and the Democrats have to learn how to conduct the oversight. But they've had some good moments, and they're going in the right direction. And thankfully, the prosecutors around the country are, are doing their job.
1: Excellent stuff. Uh, Jeffrey, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir.
4: Okay, thanks, Shane. Talk to you next week. That
1: was Jeffrey Myers, lawyer and lecturer up at Thompson Rivers University, touching base as we always do this time of the week on U.S. and today, some Canadian politics. My thanks to him and my other guests on the show, Premier John Horgan, Kamloops South MLA, Todd Stone, and Kamloops School District 73 Board Chair Kathleen Karpak. We'll see you again on The Woodford Show, same time on Radio NL tomorrow.
0: 1230 Merritt, 1340 Ashcroft, Cash Creek, from CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM, local news now.